Last week on the first Sunday of Advent, we launched into a short series that we've entitled, Who is This Jesus? As we look at key passages in the New Testament that remind us of the impact and reality of the incarnation. Does Christmas really change anything? And we say with a resounding yes, that it does. Last week, we looked at John chapter one as we studied and explored the reality and the impact of the deity of Jesus Christ. This morning, we'll look at Galatians chapter four, verses four through seven, and the good news that Jesus, through his incarnation, offers the hope of adoption. In the fullness of time, we read here in Galatians four, God sent forth his son so that we could be adopted as children of God. Paul had been traveling throughout the known world sharing this good news that we could be justified, not by the works of the law, but according to the grace of God. There were some individuals that came behind Paul and said, not so fast. The gospel's not that easy. In fact, some even took it to another level and said, if you're actually not willing to convert to Judaism, don't even bother. And so it led through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul, to write letters like he wrote to the church in Galatia to clarify the good news of Jesus Christ, to clarify the promises of salvation. And here we have the great promise that through Jesus, we can experience the hope of adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because your sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Amen. You may be seated. There's something about Christmas time that reminds us of the importance of family. There's a reason why marketing professionals spend millions of dollars with those sappy commercials with the the stories of estranged family members that come home for Christmas, a dad that goes off to military and and fights in war and surprises his children at Christmas time, maybe a father and son that have been estranged from each other, alienated from each other, reconciling at Christmas. Well, they're not far off. The reason it moves us is because there's something underneath that message. You see, the story of redemption and the story of the scriptures is that we have been estranged and alienated from God our Father. And to make matters worse, we initiated the alienation. We chose in Genesis 3, we read, to live our lives independent from God. The God the Father created us in his image and we chose to live apart to live estranged, to live alienated. 
And all throughout our lives, the story of redemption explains this long journey of figuring out how in the world could I ever be reconciled? How could I ever come back home? How could I ever be reunited with the God of creation? Paul says there's good news at Christmas. In the fullness of time, God sent his son, born of a woman, so that we might be adopted as sons of God. This is the good news of Christmas, that we can come home, that we can be reconciled to God our Father, and we could be called children of God. I want us to study this short passage under two headings, adoption secured, we'll look at verses four and five, and adoption experienced, verses six through seven. Adoption secured and adoption experienced. Let's look at verses four and five together as we understand how in the world was adoption, our adoption into the family of God actually secured. Well, one of the things I want to point out in this passage is the necessity of adoption. Why is this important? You know, many people assume and many people speak as if all of humanity are children of God, right? We speak of God in terms of God is the father of all humanity, but Paul does not say that here. Paul says by nature, we're actually slaves. By nature, we're actually orphans. You see, because of sin, we have been separated from God. And so by nature, our human nature says that we are alienated from God the Father, so that we are not by nature children of God, but instead orphans, instead slaves. And you see, the fatherhood of God that Paul speaks of here in Galatians chapter 4 speaks of his intimate, favored affection that is only reserved for the children of God but not reserved for everyone without exception. Naturally, not sons, but slaves. And and Paul says that the reason we're slaves is because we're held captive to the law. Now, it's important to understand, what is the purpose of the law? The reformers told us that the law has three purposes. First purpose of the law, that it reveals the holiness of God that it almost serves as like a mirror, that we see the holiness of God and we see our unrighteousness. It reveals to us who God is. The second use of the law is that it restrains evil. It's God's common grace to us, restraining evil, restraining us from being utterly depraved. But the third use of the law is for the Christian, for the believer, that it actually shows us how we can live lives that are obedient to Christ and honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, they sound like all three good things, right? You're right. The law is good. So how can the good law be something that holds us captive? How can the good law be something that we're enslaved to? Here's the problem. Because of sin, we are all trying to, according to our own work and our own self-righteousness, perfectly obey the demands of the law. Every attempt to self-justify, 
Every attempt to manufacture a new identity, every attempt to win someone's approval is an attempt ultimately to achieve salvation according to your work, according to your righteousness. And so because of sin, we are held captive to it. But this is where the good news of the gospel and the good news of the incarnation comes in. Because we are told that God at Christmas time has done something about this. It says in verse 4 and 5, when the fullness of time came, I forgot to mention this in the first service, but because my church history professor, Senecio Lira, is in the crowd, he would always open up church history class with this verse. In the fullness of time, that in God's perfect timing, when, when the time was absolutely perfect, that's what it means by the fullness of time, God sent his son into the world. And here's the gospel, don't miss it. God sent his son. Paul reveals to us that Jesus is fully God. He is the son of God. But then he says, but he's born of a woman. You see what Paul's doing here? He's revealing the miracle of incarnation. He is both fully and truly God, and he is both fully and truly man. He is the Son of God and the Son of Man in one person, fully God and fully man, born of a woman, born of a virgin, but to become just like us. He's born under the law. So as the author of Hebrews says, that he would be able to sympathize with us as our great high priest. But it was Jesus coming as God and man, born under the law, that accomplishes what, we're told? Redemption. So that we could be called sons of God. You see, to understand the power of what Christ achieved in redemption, we need to understand that the law brings with it two things. Blessing and curse. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, because Jesus took on our sin and our unrighteousness, he on the one hand freed us from the curse of the law. That's what we would call forgiveness. But he also secured for us the benefits of the law that we would be called children of God forever. See, the promise of the law for all those that obeyed was that God would forever be their God and we would forever be his people. But because we could never achieve our own salvation, because we could never obey the demands of the law perfectly, it required Jesus, fully God, fully man, born under the law to redeem those that were born under the law so that we might experience full forgiveness and full grace. You see, the judge, God, not only at salvation pronounces us not guilty, but he also welcomes us home into his family. And Jesus earned it all, our forgiveness, our justification, and our adoption. It was costly. It cost Jesus his life in order for us to be redeemed as children of God. This is how, in the fullness of time, our adoption was secured. But not only do we see in this passage how our adoption is secured, but Paul, in his sweetness, tells us how this adoption can be experienced right now, every day. 
In the second half of the passage, verse 6 and 7, Paul reveals how one can experience the benefits of adoption because it is not only important for you to be able to understand adoption, for you to not only be able to articulate the doctrine of adoption, but Paul wants us to understand the importance of living it out of experiencing the adoption of God because there are far too many Christians that can simply articulate doctrine but aren't experiencing it daily. And Paul reveals to us in verse 6 and 7 two ways in which we experience the adoption of God as the children of God. He says in verse 6 that God sends the Spirit of the Son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father, why? Because of sin, because we're, we still have this flesh. We are prone to go back to living like an orphan instead of a child. Ligon Duncan said, you can take the child out of Egypt, but it's easy for the Egypt to still live in the child. Failing to remember the benefits of the gospel and salvation living out the reality of adoption so the Holy Spirit needs to whisper to us that you're no longer enslaved, but you are children of God. I said this to the staff a few weeks ago, that so many Christians I encounter will say to me, I get that Jesus is for me. I get that my sins are forgiven. I get that I'm going to heaven one day but I find it hard to believe that Jesus likes me. That is failing to embrace and to live out and experience the adoption of God. And Paul says you have the Holy Spirit whispering in your ear, no longer a slave, no longer an orphan, but a child of God. But not only does Paul say we are given the Holy Spirit to remind us of our position in Christ, but that we're also given a new identity. It says that the Holy Spirit gives us the power to cry out, Abba, Father. The word Abba is an Aramaic word. And you might think that's not a big deal. Paul's writing to Greeks. Why would Paul, writing to Greeks, use an Aramaic word? You note that Paul quickly clarifies the translation of Abba, Father. What's Paul doing here? Paul, writing to Greeks, is using an Aramaic word because who spoke in Aramaic? Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out to his Father, he used the Aramaic word Abba. You go, Pastor, thank you for the seminary lesson. What are the implications? Paul wants you to understand that you are so a child of God that when the Holy Spirit comes into your life and reigns and rules, that you speak to God the Father in the same manner, the same tone, and the same words that Jesus Christ speaks to his Father you are so loved as a child of God, it's as if God the Father is looking down on his very own son. And all of our attempts to fix our identity, to change our identity, to get a new identity, are all settled in the good news of Christmas 
that God came down in flesh at the right time, born of a woman under the law, so that we could cry out, Abba, Father, because we are now no longer slaves, but children of the Most High God. A newborn child has a very distinct cry, but so do the children of God. A new spiritual DNA because we are new creation. We are new creatures. We are new beings. The old is gone and the new has come in Jesus Christ, prompting us to cry out, Abba, Father. But you might be wondering in this passage, what's with all the sons? How about the daughters? Son this, son that. Well, in the ancient world, women were devalued. The only one that had favored child status was the eldest son. And so what Paul is doing here is brilliant. He is saying in Christ, male or female, you are all the favored child. That in Christ and through your adoption, God the Father now treats you as he treats Jesus. He looks at you as if he was looking at Jesus. You all have, regardless of who you are or where you have been, the good news of the incarnation is that you receive favored child status. That is good news. The good news of Christmas and the good news of the incarnation. Make no doubt that Christmas changes everything that you can be a child of God, never alone, fully secure, fully grounded in the good news of what Jesus Christ did for us, coming into this world, born of a woman, under the law, so that we might experience redemption now and forevermore. Do you know this Jesus? Do you know this one that came 2,000 years ago? Do you know this one that cries out to you this morning that through his life and through his death, through his resurrection and ascension has secured for you what seems impossible to be reconciled with God, to experience complete forgiveness, to receive unconditionally the full benefits of the gospel of grace? It'd be absurd to reject a savior and to reject an offer like this. Jesus offers himself to you on this second Sunday of Advent freely with no strings attached. Paul in the epistle to the Romans would say if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe it in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. No, long, no longer slaves, no longer orphans, no longer living under the burden. What a great word Paul chose. Doesn't that sum up life? One big burden. Wiped away and fulfilled and satisfied through the gospel of Jesus Christ. John Wesley was the founder of Methodism. He fasted and he prayed John Wesley was known for his stellar conduct. But close to the end of his life, John Wesley made this admission. As stellar as my conduct was, 
I do not believe I was a Christian at the time. Instead, I had the religion of a slave. It wasn't until I realized that Christianity was the faith of a child till I truly experienced conversion. Is that your story today? You can go from being an orphan to having the favored child status with no strings attached, not according to what you've done or what you've left undone, but because of what Jesus has done. He obeyed the law perfectly on your behalf, and if you confess today and repent, you will be saved. This is the good news. Do you believe it? Do you know it? Is it transforming you? Is it shaping you and changing you? In the fullness of time, hear this good news. God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law to redeem those that are under the law so that you might be called a son of God. Let's pray. Oh, Lord. You have always worked in the fullness of time, at just the right time. And at just the right time, God, you sent Jesus into this world. But in the fullness of time this morning, would you send your Holy Spirit into the lives of men and women that have been enslaved to the law, longing for relief and may they find salvation in Emmanuel the one who took on flesh and dwells among us may the story of the second Sunday of Advent be this if you're here this morning or watching at home that I walked in an orphan and I leave as a child of God that God, because of your unmerited grace and favor, I want to be changed. I want to be a new creation. I want to be able to cry out, Abba, Father. And here is the good news that when Jesus cried out, Abba, Father, he received nothing in return. It was the silence of the cross the silence of God the Father upon God the Son that assures us with utter certainty that God will never be silent with us. That when we cry out in dependence, Abba, Father, we know the Father hears and listens and responds not on the basis of what we've done, but on the basis of what the Son of God has done on our behalf. Miracle of miracles, rescued and saved and redeemed from the curse of the law and unconditionally received the benefits. Full sonship, accepted forever with utter certainty. A child of God who is never alone. Continue to work that truth into our hearts for those that believe and those that are children of God this morning. May this be the good news that we proclaim to a lost and dying world. This is the light that we bring into the darkness. And may we live in light of the promise that the darkness will never overcome it. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.